right, welcome everybody. Welcome to our second edition of Process Mining Cafe. Um, we're here today. Uh, we, we have a guest again. Today our guest is uh, Professor Hayo Reyes. He is a full professor for process management and analytics at Utrecht University. And um, yeah, uh, we interviewed you on our blog more than 10 years ago, Hayo. Um, so it's high time that we catch up. But be <laughs> before we do that, uh, we want to do a little bit of follow-up from the last Process Mining Café. So uh, some of you have joined us in the last Process Mining Café uh, more or less one month ago, where we talked about uh, data requirements for uh, new IT systems. And um, yeah, we received some comments and some, some questions afterwards. We thought it would be nice to also briefly address them here today in the second edition of Process Mining Cafe before we start and go more into the discussion with Hayo about process mining and research and how they connect and uh, intersect with each other. So um, talking about the process mining data requirements uh, last time, uh, one of the important requirements that we mentioned was that you need a start and a complete event timestamp. Um, to uh, measure the durations of activities, right? So here I just brought up uh, Disco again to remind you of, of this point. So when you have both a start and a complete timestamp, this means that you can differentiate the activities in the, in the process and how long they take actively uh, from the waiting time or idle time. Uh, in between activities in the process. And um, so this is important, for example, to um, perform cost analysis because you can uh, determine how long the activities are taking and combining this with resource costs, for example, you can make a cost analysis. So this is really important for service processes uh, in particular. But uh, for example, for production processes, often uh, another metric is uh, important for which you also need start and complete timestamps, uh, which is is um, yeah, utilization uh, metrics. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Hayo, do you also sometimes work with utilization in, in your research? Yes, yes, definitely, because utilization is, is a very important aspect to, to understand, well, how, how much capacity of, of workforce you have available to complete things. And as we know from, for example, queuing theory, we know that... Um, waiting time has an immense effect on cycle time and, and throughput times in, in, in processes. So often you have to have an ac accurate understanding of utilization of your workforce uh, to make uh, accurate predictions of uh, when work will, will, will be completed. So uh, indeed, that, that is an important element. Yes, okay, yes, absolutely. So you're, you're completely right for workforce planning. Uh, that's also also really important. Uh, another example would be the whole production process environment. People have machines, for example, right? The machines are already there. Uh, so what they usually want to make use of these machines as much as possible. So the utilization should be as high uh, as it can be. So I just briefly wanted to show you also where you can see this um, and look at the utilization in, in Disco. So for example, here in the overview statistics, um, you, you actually have, if your data set has start and complete timestamps. So like we discussed, this is needed to separate the active and the waiting time. Uh, you can see the utilization um, statistics over here. So for example, for this data set, uh, you can see that there's uh, one case at least who has up to 40% utilization. Um, and this means this is the ratio of active time uh, compared to the, f the whole time of the full case, right? So 
40% means 40% of the time in the case has been spent in activities actively um, and the rest 60% is waiting time. You can also see this for, for each case here. For example, this particular case has 70% active time. Uh, so 17% has been spent time uh, in, in activities and, and so forth. Um, now for the production process, this would be actually really Uh, bad, right? Because 40% uh, utilization, yeah, that, that wouldn't be really good. And um, so what you can also do is you can filter. And uh, so, for example, in the performance filter, you can, uh, if these would be all machines for which you wanted to find the ones that have a good or a bad utilization, Uh, you cannot just filter based on case duration, which is the default, but for example, based on case utilization, you could you know, filter all the ones that are below a certain utilization threshold. And um, so, yeah, that just uh, as a tip um, that I wanted to give. And then the last point uh, I wanted to make is to remind you that you can also take different perspectives on the process that you're that you're analyzing and for example if you're looking at a production process where um, you have certain parts that are being processed usually uh, how you write the first case that you would choose for that would be kind of the material number or the product number that would be the case um, but if you're looking from a machine perspective or machine utilization perspective you can actually make the machine uh, the case yeah. so for example if now this is uh, not a production process but here for example we have different roles so these are the departments or the the teams um, or let's say departments in this service process but if you imagine these are the five machines that we have in a production process if we are interested in looking at the utilization per machine what we can do is that we in the import step that we actually changing the view on the process by um, not using the product or material ID uh, as the case, as, as we have done here, but essentially taking the machine, uh, let's say this is the machine now, as our case. And once we import the the process again, um, yeah, we will see the process show up per machine a little bit. The process map looks different. But also here, if we are looking at the cases, we have now just five cases. And in the cases view, we can then, for example, see, you know, what the utilization is for each of these machines. And we can, again, use the filter to filter the ones that have a low utilization and analyze them further. So, yeah, so that's just um, as, a, as an addition that I wanted to give on your way based on the feedback that we received at the last cafe um, for mostly production-based processes. Um, the second point of follow-up that I just briefly wanted to make is that um, yeah, Jan Hendrik, he, he made a comment and he um, he said that sometimes he has to advise customers uh, how they can improve their data. So again, that's the situation that we talked about last time. And um, he was wondering how, um, how, how he should recommend them that they change the data if they have to do it manually. So for example, if you can build into the system a way to record the start timestamp, not just the completion, but if um, employees have to do it manually each time, that's, yeah, that's, is that a good idea or not, right? You want to have more data, but uh, Hayo, I think we will come back to the topic of data yes. quality a little bit more. As yeah. soon as you ask people to do something manually, it's going to be a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. 
I, I certainly agree. Yeah. yeah. So even I mean, even if they want to do it uh, right, you have to I think in this situation think about whether it's worth the the benefit that you get, whether it's worth the extra work that they have. Uh, it's usually fine to collect to manually collect data for a matter of weeks, uh, for a limited time to gain some insight. But if you are requiring this on an ongoing basis continuously, I think that's a that's a different story. Um, so yeah, think about whether that's really needed and maybe. An, an, a solution that we thought uh, out together a little bit could be that if the employees already lock the completion of an activity, maybe you could ask them to lock um, the time that they have taken to complete this task. And then based on this time, you can calculate the start timestamps. So that reduces the load of manual logging for them uh, from yeah logging it twice to just logging it once. And in this way, you still can yeah get better data. So that would be my recommendation for this. All right. So this is uh, was a little bit of follow-up for the last process mining cafe. So yeah, let's dive into process mining research. Hiyo, uh, we're yeah. really happy to have you here. So um, maybe let's start by yeah. In, please introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, what's your background, and also specifically, what have you done with process mining so far? Yes, um, so I, I have a background in computer science. I, I studied computer science in uh, in Eindhoven. Um, I worked for um, a number of years as a, as a consultant, and, and typically in IT projects where we implemented workflow management systems, business process management systems. So that was the time that I really became interested in processes, um, and. Only after some time, after some time that I worked in industry, I moved back to uh, to the university to do a PhD uh, project, and the PhD project at that time was already focused on on business processes or workflows, as we also often refer to to them. And um, what I learned, what I what I started learning about myself when I when I uh, got involved in research is that. I had a lot of training in these, this, the algorithmic side of, of uh, doing research, so developing algorithms and, and uh, programming and these parts. But since my, my interest uh, moved to these processes, uh, there was this terrible thing that happened. You had to interact with people, right? And that's a very scary thing for many computer scientists. And I, I noticed that uh, this was an area where For my training, I didn't know that much about, for for example, how to, we, we just talked about measuring things in the real life, how to really set up sort of a measurement program. Or if you think of uh, developing a new method or a new IT system, if you want to know how effective it is, you have to get involved into uh, experiments, perhaps interviewing people, surveying these things. And so over time, I got to I got to understand that even though with a with a solid background in computer science, you need additional skills and additional things to do research properly in this area. And I think if I look back at my career, I think I have been working for quite a number of years to also develop this empirical side of doing research much more. Which is funny because this is this is uh, if you compare it with the development of process mining. Process mining is making a sort of a similar contribution to what I would consider the traditional field of workflow analysis and workflow modeling, uh, which are much more of a design-oriented uh, trade. 
by process mining is indeed also adding this empirical perspective. It's, it's taking real data into account and it's really using the real world as a source of inspiration of, well, designing and developing things. So in, in that sense, my, my career and also my own development moved hand in hand, I think also with the, with the uh, advent and development of, of process mining. Uh, so one of my supervisors uh, and one of my, my academic heroes is, is Will van der Aalst. So you cannot work with Will van der Aalst for more than 20 years without picking up anything about process mining. Uh, so that that was, of course, he's such an inspiring, uh, inspiring professor, and he has he was so much involved in this idea of process mining that I picked up um, uh, many of the things that he was working on. But where he has always had this very algorithmic uh, focus on developing new algorithms, I have always, from the start, been been more interested in the application of of process mining to understand organizations better. And uh, also as a sort of a basis to improve things and to, to redesign things. So my love, my academic love has always been with trying to change things within organizations. But of course, process mining was a very welcome uh, source of information to, to do that properly. Yes, yes. No, that, that fits really, really nicely together. Absolutely. And I, I, I very much yeah, um, connected to what you said in the beginning about that you're working on these workflow systems and yeah, maybe with an algorithmic approach or a way of thinking very much yeah. coming from a computer science perspective. But yeah. um, essentially, processes are about people. And right. that's something that I think also in the very early days, I remember when it was still called workflow mining, right? Process mining exactly. was called workflow yeah. mining. In the, in, the, yeah. in the beginning yeah. but yeah. one of the questions and that when we talk to people in um, and at companies for example industry partners um, and we were working on the research side um, people were often confused like well why would you want to do something like process mining because the process is in the system right so the workflow yeah. system is executing yeah. the process so the process is automated so yeah. it's fixed right so the Im imagination was that the process is fixed and why would yeah. you want to analyze it it's clear it yeah. has been modeled or designed exactly. or anything. I, i have said the same thing when when will from the asked i think it was in 1999 or 1998 when he first started explaining me the idea I said the same thing. I said, the build, the process has already been modeled. Uh, yes. Why do you want to discover it? Right? So I, I, I also come from that, from that background. But of course, that, that it has over the years, it has become so clear that uh, things do not uh, go exactly in the same way as, as you have, have modeled them or have, have intended them. Um, people... Uh, well, all, all kinds of things happen, uh, unforeseen situations, and also uh, processes evolve, right? So, so uh, even though it is modeled once, it is updated and it is changed. So, what is the re what is the model situation, right? That, that's that's something which is very dynamic, and people uh, have very unpredictable behavior. Um, uh, they you. And I think we get to that uh, later on uh, during during the cafe. Uh, that you may seem they may seem to be doing something, but may actually be something else. And you don't you don't without understanding behavior of people, especially in an organizational setting. I don't think you can do proper process analysis or process design. Exactly. Yes, it's it's all about all about people, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes, I think I think maybe yeah, one of the first um, or one of the easy examples, right, to explain it. If someone still thinks like, well, the process is automated, yeah. or why yeah. should I, why should it be? How can it be even different from what has been programmed in the system? I think um, even for a standard process, like um, for example, if you're looking at an SAP purchasing process, Mika Jans once made a nice analysis um, from an auditing uh, use case where they were looking at the process at a big bank and they were taking the the modeled process as a reference to see yeah. how much did the actual process you know differ from how the process should be yeah. and one of yeah. the very first things that was just not in the modeled process or in the designed process was make yeah. a change change the, the purchase yes. order i mean that's yeah. something of course that happens very frequently that you have to update something that you didn't have the yeah. full information in the beginning and Yeah. So yeah. it goes, right? And then you get yeah. into rework and and all yeah. kinds of things. But and, and, yeah. and, and, and sometimes even the process happens as it is modeled, mm -hmm. but then the for example the timing behavior is completely surprising. I remember that we when we used process mining in the setting of a of a municipality, yeah. uh, we studied the same process for different uh, Dutch municipalities. We we were very surprised that. Uh, even though the steps in the process were as they were modeled, mm -hmm. that the timing of these things were completely uh, surprising. Uh, so uh, I think many people who have, have, have done process mining have seen, for example, that a lot of things happen on Friday afternoon around four o'clock. Yes. Right? Then all of a sudden there is a lot of completions of tasks and, and things which are pushed through. But that also means that people probably do not follow, but they follow, may follow the steps But the recording of what they really do during the week is different than when you just observe the data, right? People yes. have been working on these things, but only at the end of the week they think, oh, yeah, we have to sign all these things off, right? So the, the order is the same, but the timing is totally, totally different yes. than what you would expect. Exactly. So that's like an additional, an additional challenge then if the data maybe doesn't reflect what people are doing, right? But even yeah. if we take that aside and say the data yeah. reflects exactly what people are doing, you're, you're completely right. People are working differently over the time or the of the week or different people work differently. Yes. And we will come back to this more. But for example, I, that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to um, simulate processes or to create simulation models if you want to simulate behavior right so in, in some of the research that we looked at and i remember there was this one paper of joyce natakumba yep. um, that uh, she worked on with will where she tried to incorporate the fact that if people get more work that they work, work faster efficient. right yeah faster. because they yeah. want to complete it but at a certain point in time it breaks down because then yeah, yeah maybe you're yeah. overworked and yeah. Not doing this anything. is in first in first uh, U shape indeed yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. And, and I think many people recognize it also when deadlines approach right yes. uh, when deadlines are approaching people also become much more efficient and this is uh, or or they, or they they leave out particular tasks to just be able to finish right and this these are these dynamic effects are very difficult difficult to capture. Yes, exactly. So this is, yeah, so here we are talking about the processes themselves and how people in them, let's say, influence them and, and change them. But also, I think, yeah, that's like you mentioned already that you like um, uh, empirical research, right? And that's also something that I um, yeah, have um, have have seen uh, from you that uh, you're a researcher who does not shy away from uh, empirical research but also is interested in um, yeah research methods where you are trying to capture this human element um, yeah. in ways that of course yeah is 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 much much 
yeah, very, very dif different from thinking about it like an algorithm, right? You have to yeah. capture it yeah. in different ways. Maybe can you talk a little bit about, um, yeah, what maybe the main uh, fields in empirical research or the main approaches here are and what is important to do it right? Yeah. So one of the so when I as I as I told you I have I have also developed myself as a complete amateur in this this field I learned a lot from colleagues uh, especially colleagues from software engineering who were much more uh, accustomed to already doing um, empirical uh, empirical research in how people for example produce uh, software so one of the things that I really um, uh, was interested in for quite a time quite some time is how people uh, develop process maps or, or process models uh, and we were investigating that was also a time that I, I worked, worked very closely with uh, Jan Mentling uh, mm -hmm. a colleague who's now uh, working in uh, Vienna at the Wirtschaftsuniversität uh, we were very interested in how people uh, create these uh, create these models uh, and, and, and also uh, make sense of these models so Because I was a complete amateur, I, I thought that the experiment, for example, was the most convenient way of testing under certain circumstances what the most important elements were. But over time, I found out that, that a, a, often a very more effective method or technique is to let people uh, think out or uh, speak out their thoughts so that they tell Uh, what they are doing so you don't know just observing them but they are tell you what they do and that gives so much insights on how they uh, what they do for example when they read a process model when they tell you where they start in the process model or what their assumptions are or what their work hypotheses are uh, this this really helps to 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 understand what what attracts them and what in a process model for example is uh, is is to them important and perhaps what you should what what shouldn't be so important right and this is a, a fairly easy technique to let people uh, say out loud what they think um, and this has as broad as a lot um, and this is often a way also to formulate things which you may later on test in uh, experiments that's that's interesting that's a really interesting technique i think and it seems to me that you're indeed you're very close to the person you're working with uh, in yeah. this way and i think yeah. that's one of the yeah drawbacks of surveys right so for example yes. i was yeah. uh, when i was a phd i was working in a, in a research project where multiple multidisciplinary teams were working on different aspects on the project and one yeah. of the people in in the other groups they were working also more empirically and they were doing surveys and they were very meticulous about how to design the survey, how to do it right. There yep. were very clear standards about yep. how to do this yep. well. Yep. And so, yeah, I, uh, that's one thing that I observed over there, but I also experienced it the, the other way around because it's, it, what I see is that especially like master students, for example, when they come up with, yeah. or they need to come up with an idea about a thesis topic, um, yeah. it's very easy to come up with the idea, oh, let's do a survey, you know, yes. about yes. some kind of... I, I think that is, that is an overused, uh, yeah. overused instrument because it's, it's very, it's, it's in a sense very superficial and not very contextual. Yes. Uh, while looking at, I mean, simply observing experts, that is very difficult to make sense what they do. But, but letting the, ex as I said, letting the experts explain what they do, that is, that is very attractive. 
another thing, and that is in the same line, uh, another thing that I grew fond of, and that is also research that I've done together with, for example, with Barbara Weber, mm -hmm. is to use very uh, precise uh, measurement instruments to, to see what people focus on. So, for example, eye tracking mm -hmm. uh, devices, so that you can see when when people uh, uh, perform work, for example, they inspect a process model or process uh, analysis results, that you can really see through the tracking software what they focus on, uh, which elements of a graph they, they look at and how much time they spend on that and how they their gaze moves through uh, the data analysis. That's a very um, accurate uh, and also a reliable way to see what, what is actually making sense for people, what they find important. And that is that is and that, that clearly of course requires sophisticated uh, um, um, devices mm -hmm. to do that but it's in the similar vein that you want to understand what people really are doing yes okay that's that's great do you have any tips for maybe um, maybe a researchers who are who might be um, watching this and are might be also interested in doing something with empirical research and they're new to the topic where they should start or how so I think I think what I what I what my, my most important recommendation is to look in other fields what has already been done. So mm -hmm. I, I mentioned that software engineering there are very good books on on uh, empirical software engineering and also um, empirical research and software engineering. So there you learn or there you can read about, for example, uh, experiments, but also surveys and, and observations. I think that is that's by Wolin, uh, for example, uh, which I can I can really recommend. Um, but before you do anything really, um, as you also said, something very rigorous, or which, which takes a lot of time to develop or to design, uh, first do a sort of a preliminary test of your ideas. So I myself, I have to admit it, I developed experiments also with my students, which took a lot of time to prepare them. Then we did the experiment and then we found no effect of the, the, the things that we thought were cool. Uh, for example, we... We worked with uh, people and, and, and very interesting new modeling paradigms. And we thought, okay, if we give them extra support, they can create better models. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the idea was great. But if we would have asked the people involved rather what they find important and what they, they use as background information to make modeling decisions, we would have developed another experiment. So before you waste your time, you have to get A, you have to get to know the methods, the research methods, but before you do anything very involved or very complex, complex, try to use it, test it in a simple way. Yeah. Let people speak out loud, observe what they do. Uh, that's obviously that's that's often not a very big effort, but uh, very insightful. Yeah, no, that that sounds uh, seems like a very good, very good tip. It's like in process mining, also, right? You, it's always yeah. a good idea to test a small sample first before you take the the huge uh, yeah. data set. Yeah. So that's yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Let me just check because yeah. we have the we're, we're live, not yeah, we're live for a reason. Eh? We want to um, yeah. have the possibility to to talk with people and to be in contact with all of you, not just. Um, yeah. Um, listening, so I'll just let me just check whether there's there's any uh, question that we can already address. Um, so yeah, there, let me just read it out, and we can we can see whether we can answer it uh, or not. Uh, so Jeroen asked, uh, Will van Aals posted recently a short article um, to um, yeah for a new process mining technique um, specifically for SAP data um, and he thinks that SAP is uh, standardized has standardized workflow steps um, 
Um, and therefore, why would you be using process mining? That's it's funny because it's exactly what we've been talking before, right? And it's true, there are standardized processes. But um, so maybe I can ask uh, answer that right away, Irun. That's exactly the example of the purchasing process where maybe you design the process for everything goes right, but then um, yeah, once you make a change, there could be rework. Uh, sometimes people, um, you know, um, do not go through the 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 required or let's say the ideal process systems actually have to give people more flexibility um, than maybe as the process designer you would like to allow them right as a process designer that's what we also see sometimes people maybe they have the ideal process in mind but the problem is if you fix that process in the system so much that maybe the system would allow that to to, to do it in this very fixed way but People have to be flexible to do things differently. Maybe they have to adjust a little bit for a particular customer or yeah, they have to be able to make exceptions. Otherwise, what happens is they will work around the system. Absolutely. Yeah. People are extremely creative also in even if you think that you fix the system and you make it you make it watertight <laughs> yes. and they they will find ways to 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 work around the system. It's Uh, perhaps we get to it, but it's it's uh, in fact one of the major research themes in my group in Utrecht uh, to look at how people work around systems. Yes, uh, and and given the insights we get from that research, that it is it's so frequent people uh, people use and misuse systems, and 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 you often you cannot blame them. Uh, there, are, I, I think it is we can all recognize that there are so many IT systems which are poorly designed or which are designed properly for one particular situation yeah. or for common case but not for the exceptions or not for uh, all the different situations that uh, exist or perhaps not they are not they are suitable at one time but when the rules change or when the context changes uh, they're not suitable anymore so i also think it's it's a complete Mm, I think it's it's hubris also for IT system uh, designers that you can design the perfect system and can completely think out what people want to do and how they will do it with the system you need. And that is what you mentioned. You will also always need some flexibility. But as soon as you have flexibility, it also means variability, right? People will do different things. Yes, exactly. No, you're, you're completely right. And uh, actually, the same um, principle applies there also when you know, systems are introduced. I've seen this with some, for example, government agencies that when they were rolling out a new system, the people who are designing the new system, they recognize that they are not the domain experts themselves. So they have to work with the, the business yeah. units and the people who ultimately have to use the system. And they can do all the requirements, engineering and def definitions that they want. But there's always yeah. the risk that something is missing or isn't completely capturing yeah. the way that they need to work. So often they also start small by yeah, letting the new system in some kind of pilot mode and then analyzing yeah. and evaluating. Does yeah. it actually Well, we've done. We've done. Um, at the time, I was. Uh, so I'm still working at uh, in Eindhoven University. But when I was working there full time, mm -hmm. we did a lot of. We did a, a big uh, empirical research project into the use of business process management systems. So they had the modern name for for workflow management systems, and we looked at the uh, implementation success of these systems. And what we found is that one of the most um, important factors in into uh, what, what determined the success rates of, of these projects and they were very complex IT systems that had to imp be implemented in organizations the most important factor that predicted success was whether there was good follow-up 
after the systems went live. Yeah. Uh, whether the people who had to work with these systems were properly supported immediately after going live to mm -hmm. take care of all kinds of unforeseen things that the system designers didn't think of or that they that they, they thought of but misunderstood. Yeah. And we could see that if you could immediately follow up with, with the, uh, the, the users, the new users of these systems and solve their issues, and they were often not very complex issues, but uh, the thing is, if, you, if somebody who is working on um, uh, his or her complete working day on something which starts, which keeps on annoying uh, somebody because it is the wrong order of doing things or it will take additional work every time, if, if you let this exist for, for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, that's, I think, the, the bomb under the whole all system. So this follow-up uh, is, is a success factor, and, and it is completely connected to the, to the fact that you cannot foresee everything as yeah. a, a system developer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's about expectation management, right? So understanding from the beginning that most likely you won't be uh, fully there or finished once the system goes live, yes. but building in... Uh, this yeah. as a planned part of the whole project to actually have these adjustments and, and get it right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me just see. We have another uh, question from Uriel. Uh, and um, so the question is how to combine lean, a root cause analysis, um, so these uh, improvement methods into process mining. So I, I think the combination is it works very well and is really important, but I'm, I'm wondering, do you have any examples or any comments comments on this yeah i think that there's it's an inc incredibly powerful combination of using improvement methods and the insights from from uh process mining so i think a lot of a lot of improvement methods already incorporate a strong empirical element right that you collect look at uh, six sigma which is all about uh gathering data and measuring deviations for example and, and doing statistical analysis um, I think what process mining adds to the to, to uh, in, in the repertoire of data analysis techniques is that it is so strongly process focused, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have process improvement methods, the, often you will formulate targets uh, which concern the entire process and not a particular step or a particular uh, action by a participant. So to to understand the effects. On the overall process performance, it is something that actually only process mining techniques can can uh, can really provide. You have to do so much work to combine all the data at the individual steps and individual actions to turn into sort of an aggregate value of the performance of a of a of a, of a process. Yeah. Where process mining tools uh, generate these insights, you know, uh, as as uh, let's say the main thing they do. Uh, so. Um, Right. That is a, that's a very powerful combination, and I think that um, um, the way we talked also about system development, that's the same about improvement uh, projects. It is also, I think, um, um, unrealistic to expect that you can think through the best improvements or the, or, the, or the most effective improvements completely from behind your desk. So it will often be a situation where you're going to iterate, yeah. right? You're going to uh, try a measure. And perhaps you're going to try it in one place while you leave the original situation going on in another place. You will see for quite some time how effective this is. You will compare this mm -hmm. with process mining uh, analyses, and then you will take an, a next step. So this iterative 
uh, approach where you will redesign, measure, uh, reconsider, redesign, etc. This is something which I think is, is, is becomes even more effective when you when you are using these process mining tools. Yeah, no, absolutely, yes. So I think that what you just said, that's, that's really important to, to be able to look at the full process, the end-to-end -end process, right? That you're not running the risk of optimizing yeah. just a, a subset of the process and then, yeah, you might be not getting the, yeah. the best result. But also, I, I think... Traditionally, in the classic way, people go and measure manually by observing people, collecting data, and not yeah. using the, the data from the IT systems that's already there. And you can, um, of course, one of the concerns is always data quality. We will, again, come back to this a little bit yeah. more. <laughs> But yeah. um, you can validate the data and you can um, test the quality and make sure that it has sufficient quality to, to do the analysis. And yeah. then you are exactly coming to, to this last point that you that you made, uh, that you can make these kind of iterative reanalysis really quickly, which you wouldn't be able to do if, if you had to manually observe no. again for month and month. Uh, like no, what no, people no, not at all. And perhaps one thing that I want to add uh, is with, with what you get with process mining analysis, is, of course, is that you um, incorporate a number of metrics about the process. So you started uh, the cafe uh, today with, with a reflection on utilization. Mm -hmm. so I think if it is very important. So I think that when you, whenever you are improve a process, I have also some empirical evidence for it, uh, you will win some and you will lose some, right? You will perhaps yeah. improve the speed of the, uh, of the process, but it will become less flexible, for example, mm -hmm. or you will, um, uh, you will make, uh, you will improve the quality of the, of the process Uh, and the outcomes, but it will you will slow it down by, because by you introduce a couple of checks. So what I think is important for, for every improvement program is that you may want you, you have a sort of a main objective, the things that you want to improve. These process mining tools also help you to keep an eye on the other performance aspects, how they are being affected. Yes. And once again, if you have to set up an entirely new measurement program for all these additional things, you won't do it. Yes. So. That means you are partly blind for the side effects of your uh, of your process improvement plan or yes, project. Absolutely, these un put, yeah, unintended side effects that, that can yes. can come out. Yeah. Absolutely, that's a that's such a good point. And maybe maybe one one other last note on this. Um, yeah. We can also turn it around, right? I think there's a lot that process mining brings to the table for Lean Six Sigma practitioners who are not using process mining today, and that's what we have been just talking about the the past few minutes here. But the other way around is also true. And um, what you see is that um, as a process mining analyst, uh, when you when you analyze the process, when you look at the process maps, you look at the statistics, the discovered process map itself, it does not do anything yet, right? You have to do something with these insights to actually achieve a benefit for the process to make it more efficient, faster, you know, improve the quality, whatever the goal of the process improvement yep. should be. And um, so existing methods like uh, business process management, but also Lean Six Sigma, theory of constraints, these are methodologies that uh, can be used around process mining to drive the interpretation to yeah, interpret what you're seeing and uh, yeah, to, to draw the right conclusions from it. And you need some methodology around it. So process mining itself is, is agnostic to which kind of yep. methodology you use, but you yes, need something around it. And I think Lean Six Sigma is an, is an excellent um, companion yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. I really like that observation. I think that 
we have as a research community, we have progressed so much in the development of, of process mining techniques, process mm -hmm. mining uh, analyses. Uh, I think some of my colleagues also expect that we as a community of computer scientists will also now do the automatic improvement of processes. I'm not so optimistic in this sense. I think we it's much better to look for a combination of, let's say, uh, the tools and the things we develop in the computer science community with more the managerial methods or design thinking from other disciplines and to, to blend these things together yeah. to make a step from analysis to uh, uh, design and improvement. Uh, so it's often the blend of different techniques and the different tools um, uh, that, that, thinks that, that, that you can really make an impact. Yes, I completely agree. You really need a person, a human being who has access to the domain knowledge so they know the process behind it, but then also understands Yeah, process improvement methods and process mining to combine all of yeah. these insights into the, the right action. Yes, I completely agree. I, maybe, um, yeah, so, so, so I also wanted to talk a little bit about, we we're talking already about Lean Six Sigma, um, as, which is uh, like a practitioner method that's very successful, used in many companies today, and, and process mining is, I think, interesting because it came out of the research world, right? So it started around 99, 98, 2000, uh, so it's more or less 20 years, years old, and in the beginning it was a pure research topic. Now, yeah, um, yeah since 10 years or so, it has been in, 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 in practical use, and more and more companies are adopting it. And um, so sometimes I also see that practitioners who are um, yeah, coming working at companies, for example, as a process improvement uh, expert or a lean lean six sigma black belt or different roles or an auditor, right? Or um, yeah. maybe they're responsible for a process as a process manager. Sometimes they're also confused, like how much of the research they need to know uh, to be able to use process mining. And what I always tell them is that that they don't have to understand, you know, the the algorithms in detail behind be, behind it. So, for example, I always tell them. It's It's really a uh, really good idea to, for example, uh, sign up for the MOOC and, and do the MOOC on Coursera, the post-mining course provided by Wilf van Aalst. Yes, and definitely. It's a really good course and uh, a lot of practitioners like it a lot also, but some of them maybe after maybe half of the lectures or so it becomes very theoretical or mathematical. Maybe they um, yeah. yeah they cannot follow through and what I'm always trying to tell them is they shouldn't feel bad about um, if that's the case um, because in practice there's actually different topics that are important to be able to use post mining in practice. For example, how to detect data quality problems, right? How to clean them, how to interpret um, the yeah. results that you get uh, in the right way and this is for example what we focus on in our trainings but also on our um yeah in our post mining and practice book that we're putting together so yeah i, I do think that uh, as a as a practitioner you don't have to understand petronet theory in, in detail behind. <laughs> do you agree or how do you think i do, I do agree I, i actually appreciate it that practitioners um Uh, wonder about what's going on in, in the research uh, community. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've always, at least mentally, I've always been a little bit in the middle. I've always been in the middle of, I, I, I have worked as a consultant for, for a number of years in practice. I like practical problems, but yeah, I've, I've worked now for even longer in academia and in university. Uh, and of course, there I'm used to working on, on 
uh, new techniques, new algorithms, new new methods. But I like the middle area, and uh, it is interesting if people from one side want to look into the other. I think this is this is very beneficial, and I think this is also something that we want to foster, perhaps even a little bit more. Uh, by bringing these communities together. So uh, there is now, uh, we have uh, had this, this uh, uh, new uh, scientific conference on, on process mining, mm -hmm. um, which is um, uh, also has uh, an industry day, for example, uh, where uh, people from industry and researchers uh, are meeting together. And of course, they will not talk, not talk about Petronet theory uh, most of the time. But that is, I think, a very nice event where uh, researchers can at least understand practical issues and also can disclose some of the developments uh, in the research community. And I, I really believe in these kind of events. For, for, for a number of years in Eindhoven, we had the BPM Roundtable, mm -hmm. which is a similar event where we, ha uh, on, on, the, on an afternoon, had practitioners and researchers meet together. Practitioners would present on results they achieved in, in industry or, or challenges they, they saw, and researchers would show the newest kind of research. But in a way, that, that there was actually a meaningful uh, interaction. So. I, I appreciate these kind of uh, kind of questions, but I agree that practitioners should not worry uh, uh, about understanding perhaps the, 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 the fine details of of the uh, of the of the um, uh, of all these methods. And researchers, I think, researchers should also be humble enough to to not pretend that they understand all the organizational context. Uh, in which process mining is being used. Right. right? That's, that's, that's another terrain. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. No, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And and that's also my, has also been my experience that it's not necessary, but uh, a lot of the people uh, who work at companies, they are interested in what's going on um, in the process mining research areas. And, you know, whether it's to get a glimpse of what's coming in the future or just uh, in general. So yeah. I, th I, I think that's special and maybe not the case in in, in any field that there's this, this interest yeah. uh, in both yeah. ways. And I think as, as a community, as a research community, I, I see myself mostly as a researcher, I think we should do more with this interest. We should more engage uh, with practice, um, uh, exchange ideas. I think it's also very beneficial for young researchers uh, to get involved with, with real, uh, uh, real world uh, problems, real world processes which may inspire them but which also may lead to practical contributions from their research so right. i think that is i think as, as a research community we can also take further steps uh, uh, to, to get this interaction uh, yes. going yes yeah. okay now also maybe just right now because um we also thought that here today in this uh, this cafe session um yeah we we know there are some people who are interested in process mining research even though they're working um you know in, in their practitioners yep. working in companies yep. so we thought well yeah let's let's maybe also um give a glimpse of some of the process mining research um that was being done this year of course it would be a very uh, daunting task to try to give a complete summary there's a lot of things going on there's this new yep. process mining conference the um, international cross mining conference that you that you mentioned that has been uh, has taken place this year for the second time uh, yes. but also still the bpm conference which was the primary cross mining conference um, is still going on and there's still cross mining yeah. research published there and there's various other conferences too um, yeah. and lots of journals of course so um, yeah so we don't we don't want to 
even try to make kind of a summary or be complete in any way but we each of us picked one paper um, that we thought we tried to summarize in a, in a yeah, very simple way just to give a glimpse for for the practitioners that we just mentioned yeah. uh, who yeah. are interested uh, in, in post-mining research and sh so should we should we get into these two example papers that we that we Please. picked yeah okay so i have the we have a few slides just as a as a visual a representation you see don't think they're visible yet let me just share again yeah it's coming up i think now it's coming up yes so um the first paper that that i picked is a paper that i uh, i liked uh, very much at this year's cross mining conference uh, international cross mining conference um, and it's a paper where you also a co-author uh, and was um, also authored by uh, robert fahammer and arthur tohofstedter and uh, what i've find interesting about the paper is that it's uh, looking at data quality, but it's trying to provide a framework of thinking about the root causes of potential data quality problems, right? So we are also on our blog and in our post-mining book, we have collected uh, in the meantime now a wide range of typical data quality problems and what people can do about them and how they can fix them. But I think this is a really interesting way of thinking about, well, what's behind um, what's the reason behind this data quality problem? And the idea, of course, then is that it can help to ultimately address these root causes. If you understand better what the reason is, um, yeah. you can address this in a better way. And now the framework itself, um, it's yeah shown here. It's maybe a little bit, a little bit small, but we try to give two examples for. Um, how different spheres essentially can work together to yeah, produce yeah. data quality problems. And the first I like one, the yeah. Yes. yeah, I like the word of spheres uh, because there's indeed in this model, it is it's, it's it's it looks more daunting than it really is. It looks more complex than it really is. It 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 says to to it says well when you look for these when you have data quality problems or potential problems, there are at least three different perspectives mm -hmm. that you can help that can help you to to discover these, these uh, causes and those are the spheres that you mentioned the so social the material and the personal uh, personal spheres and they interact with each, with each other but you were you were about to give an example yes, so go ahead. Yeah. exactly just to, to make it a little bit more concrete yeah. so for example the social sphere that's uh, more or less the organizational context but also culture yeah. uh, everything yeah that's that's influencing and yeah i don't actually know what inculcates means but I, let's say it, it, it influences the, influences. the, the person yeah. right who's yeah. uh, performing um, the process so here the process participant it's an example like where the process participant is um, yeah causing a data quality problem by behaving in a in a different way in in the process and so one example that I could think of um, is, is coming from the call center space where uh, uh, we had yeah, we have seen this with uh, with a company quite a few years ago um, but it's yeah common in call center environments that people working there are measured based on a metric called first call resolution rate so first call resolution rate then means uh, or reflects the desire of the of the company or the customer service department to close a new customer request as quickly as possible and 
to resolve these problems, right? You don't want to keep them open and you want to solve the problem for the customer very quickly. But ultimately, what this means is that because this is how the performance is measured and this is how the people are being measured who work there, um, they have a tendency to actually close cases um, before they are actually the problem is solved. And when the customer calls again, they just open a new case, which is then counted as a new issue that was, yeah, that was the... Resolved yeah. very quickly. So it's a data quality problem because then they change the way the process works. They are making multiple cases for the same issue for the same customer. The customer actually has a bad experience because every time they call, they have to completely explain again what the problem was. Yeah. And also in yeah in the data, if when you analyze it, you get completely the wrong idea about what's what's happening, and it's influenced by this by this yeah. social. Yeah. A social and organizational context, yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. and you had another example also in, yeah. in the same line. We had, right? a, we had a. This is a, this is showing this example. This is um, an example that my Australian colleagues um, uh, told me about. Uh, so, in the past years in Australia, there has been new performance indicators for emergency departments uh, within hospitals. So. What has happened is that uh, hospitals throughout Australia are now um, evaluated uh, with respect to meeting a deadline of four hours, a maximum of four hours of stay of patients in emergency departments. So uh, what happened when this, this measure was introduced, and you can see that here, uh, so in 2012 that measure was introduced that this four-hour boundary was, actually, was used to assess the performance of emergency departments, you can see one thing which is really obvious. You can see that um, 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 the, 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 these hospitals really tried to finish uh, and to, to, to transfer uh, patients before this timeline. You can see that because the, uh, the, the, the graph goes up there. But what you cannot see in this data is that the hospitals in the background did also did something else. They created a new type of room. I think it's called the short stay short stay room and physically in the in, the, in these in these uh, hospitals they were short stay rooms were physically emergency department rooms they were just next to the room uh, and they were then people were transferred from on paper from this emergency room to the to the short stay room but they didn't go anywhere they were just simply in the same in the same setting and there was a new activity in the process which said move patient from emergency department to the short stay room so here when you just look at the data, you see all kinds of new activities and you see new kinds of durations and new kinds of steps. But the process hasn't changed. The process has, uh, the recording has actually changed, which if you are not aware of these kind of changes in the organizational context or even the national context, the change of this data doesn't, doesn't make really, doesn't make any sense. Uh, you, it only starts making sense when you, when you understand what people are trying to achieve on paper uh, so uh, only by, by, by realizing this you understand that the people who are in this short stay room should still be considered as people who are undergoing emergency treatment yes and the, the process itself has has not improved right it has no. it has <laughs> gotten worse i think it yes, sounds it's gotten like. worse of course yeah. there's more administration the more recordings um and and and, and um, yeah the it, it, it requires, and that is, I think, the, the idea behind this, this framework and this paper, is it requires an understanding of these contextual factors to make sense of the data. Yeah, yes. 
And I think that's also something that, uh, for example, an experienced process improvement practitioners, right? They are they are trained yeah. to look for incentives and cultural yeah. aspects yeah. around the process to, to capture such influences. Yeah. So that's also yeah. captured by the yeah. framework. So we also try to warn our students that, that by just looking at the data, you cannot get the full picture, right? Yeah. You, no, if you have no understanding of these contextual things, the data, the, the data doesn't make any sense for you and also the analysis doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's an important dimension, um, like where the root costs lie. So you, ultimately, you actually have to look at this incentive structure and maybe the, the measurements maybe uh, yeah. to really solve this. Um, yeah. Just yeah, as a, as a second and last example for this framework, I also picked one from, uh, from the IT side. So the material uh, sphere here stands for how the IT systems that support the process influence the way that people work with it. And so so the one example that I could think of here um, was um, in a process where this in a, in a credit application process. So customers were requesting uh, loans or, or yeah, credit, uh, applied for credit with, with a financial company. And then the system itself did not have a, have a, a particular functionality that, and people then worked around the system by misusing essentially a different kind of status that was indicating some kind of um, yeah incomplete. For example, if the application, uh, if someone applies for this loan and uh, they have not um, submitted all the paper papers that are necessary to complete the application, their status would be set to incomplete. And um, they were misusing this incomplete status just to delay payouts for loans yeah. that should be paid out on a particular day of the month. So, yeah. Yeah. of course, yeah. this is also a data quality problem because then when you're looking at the, the data, it looks like a lot of the applications are incomplete where they're actually not it's just the yeah. way that people work around a missing feature in the IT system um, yeah. to get it right so and it's a, it's a great example because it shows also how creative people are yeah it shows how people will use or misuse the system to so that it conforms to their work practices uh, and, and not the ideas of the system developer or the management uh, uh, the management behind that system so. yes Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it also, it also it also reminds me, by the way, by the uh, to the question that we had at the start of this session about yes. this uh, logging of time uh, uh, timestamps, so that they, that you would perhaps consider asking people to log in addition to the work they do at the time they uh, they would start a work item, so that you could do a more detailed analysis, process mining analysis later on. So this reminds me of that if if you are IT system, and it's a, it's again an example of how the material world influences participants so that you get data quality issues if you require people to manually log timestamps yeah. in systems without supporting them uh, to give to do that in the proper format or to correct mistakes automatically this is asking for so much issues right people will use different different data formats people will order the years and the months uh, the order yeah. the years <laughs> and the days differently uh, etc and then again you can you can see this as another example of uh, where the material world, so the IT support, will influence people in creating uh, quality, data quality issues. Yes, yes. And you can scream at them to not make any mistakes, but that's not, <laughs> not yes. reasonable. Yeah. So, right. no. no. Okay, so that's the, the one paper that I picked. And you picked a, yeah. a different one. Do you want to tell us yes. what this is about? Yeah, so the previous paper was uh, presented at the uh, Process Mining Conference, the International Process Mining Conference. And this is a paper that I picked 
and it's not without any bias because it's a paper that uh, uh, um, shows the main research ideas behind the PhD project that is executed by Jelma Korn. Jelma is a PhD student in my group in Utrecht. And he is uh, working together with um, a healthcare organization. And um, more general, so the healthcare organization has the following um, issue or the following managerial consideration that in many situations you can take different, when, when something happens, you can take different actions. Um, there was an uh, event, uh, for example, you can see that a patient uh, with, with mental issues becomes aggressive. And you can do different things. You can start talking with the, the patient, or you can medicate the patients, or you can uh, isolate the patient. And these are more or less alternatives to each other. But what is really interesting is to understand when these different actions or different responses uh, to what kind of effects they lead. So let's suppose that talking is actually more effective than isolating uh, the patients, then this is something that you want to learn from from the data. Um, and what Gelmer, uh, together with uh, Cici Lu and Henrik, I've also been involved with what we've been working on, is to look within processes for these kind of mini patterns where you say uh, there's an event, there's an action, there's a response, and can we, a response, and can we now determine what the most effective uh, responses are in particular situations. Yeah, so, so, so you've uh, looking, you have been looking at it in the process itself, right? Yeah, in the process. So these are mini, mini patterns within processes that we analyze, and we develop techniques to understand these uh, effects uh, better. Yeah, so let's try to bring up the the visual for that. It's not having a delay. Let me just share again. Mm -hmm. So now you should see the. So this is this is uh, this is a, a sort of a everybody will recognize this who, who knows a little bit about process mining. So we um, uh, first discover the process, and when you look at this uh, model, you will see that we have classified the different activities uh, in this in this process into the different categories. So you can see that there is an action which takes place, and you can see that at the top of the graph. So there's physical aggression, for example, in a in a sort of a um, award for, for um, mentally challenged uh, people. And then you can see different responses, for example, talk to the client or uh, talk to the client, but also walk away from the client so that you are becoming safe. And then there are also different effects, for example, that the client starts throwing with things, which is physical aggression, right? It starts to work on objects or attacking people or verbal aggression. And these things are effects. So when you have a sort of a process understanding, you can start labeling the things which have a causal relation to each other. This happens. This is what we try to do. And this is the effect what takes place. So once you have that, once you have that uh, insight, maybe it's good to, to uh, move to the next uh, mm -hmm. visualization. Then we can generate, and this is the technique uh, that we describe uh, in this paper, that you can generalize, generate these kind of trees where you can see there is an action, there is a uh, response, and then there is an effect. Those are the three layers that you can see in, uh, in this uh, graph. And the thick arrows and the, small, uh, the, the, the more narrow arrows indicate whether something happens more often than you would expect. And if something happens more often than you would expect just by matter of chance, it means that there is a causal effect. Mm. So what you can see here is that they're terminating the contact 
is is leading to a desired outcome in much more in many more occasions than you would expect just by mere chance. So determining contact in this in this physical aggression uh, situation is a very effective response. Other actions, it would go too far to explain the whole three, but other actions are perhaps much less effective. So what you get from this is on top of an understanding of the process, you uh, get to understand the mini patterns of causality. I do this, then this happens, and this is much more effective than doing it this, in this way. This, so this gives you a sort of an additional layer of explanation of what is happening in your process, which you can use, of course, to also change your uh, change your process to instruct, for example, your nurses to take some actions rather or so, to do some responses rather than others, because they, the data shows that that is more effective if you want to have desired outcomes. Yes, that's so that's so interesting. I think it's a really nice example how you can combine different fields um, in the whole post mining research area, right? So, for example, here you make use of statistical techniques and you combine it with yeah, um, yeah with this uh, with this analysis. And yeah. I think yeah, that's yeah, that's one of the reasons why that's uh, such an such a great area of research. There's still so many yeah. topics that can be explored and combined, and you can leverage I, I, techniques. Together. I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about this because hmm. I think now we get to see that many people in industry are also getting interested in the process mining. I think in a couple of years, we can also help them to not just understand the order of, of things, but also the causality between, uh, between these things. It's not just that this happens after this has happened. No, it is very likely that this would happen because this previous action is trying to achieve this particular result, right? Yeah. And also when you see alternatives, you can say, oh, this alternative path is actually much more effective than the other one. Yes. So we will get these additional layers of insights built on top of the process model. Yeah, yeah. to show, for example, correlations like this. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's great. Thanks uh, for sharing that. We will, um, together when we um, send the recording sometime next week or so, we will also share the links to the to the two papers. So for those yeah. of you who want to dive into it in more detail, you can, you can read it uh, then. But yeah, so I think that's, uh, yeah, it's a nice, uh, yeah, These were, I think, nice, two nice examples that show that what is going on on the research side definitely is also relevant uh, for practitioners. And yeah, you already mentioned that the, the industry day is a, is a good way also for researchers and um, practitioners to connect. Um, you yeah. are in charge of the industry day at the Prosmining Conference next year. Isn't this correct? Yes. Yeah, that is correct. So I, I, I'm very glad also to, to use this opportunity to announce that the International Conference on Process Mining will take place in the Netherlands uh, in 2021. Let's hope that it's going to be a physical, uh, a physical event, but I'm pretty optimistic about this. And indeed, we are organizing as part of that conference uh, an industry day uh, where we are thinking of having activ activities where, where practitioners and researchers get together. Uh, where petitions can hear more about the newest developments um, uh, in research. And on the other hand, where researchers can learn from practitioners what are really the challenging situations, the kind of analysis questions that, that, um, that, that occur. Uh, so I, I invite everyone who is around, and I know there's a lot of a big followers, a base of followers of Fluxicon, of course, also in the Netherlands, but also in Germany and Belgium. And Eindhoven is really well situated uh, for this to attend that day uh, to, when, when they want to learn more about process mining and to uh, get involved in, in, in research.
Yes, exactly. No, that's that's definitely something that we all we all look forward to. So that will be a nice uh, a nice point uh, next year in November, I think. Yeah. Right? It, it's take, taking place. Yes. So yes. Still, still lots of time. But maybe, yeah, um, yeah even even outside of um, the specific industry day and the conference, I think in general, some some people also uh, practitioners might be wondering how they can um, yeah work together with researchers um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. In, in different ways. And so I think one cooperation area is a joint research projects where yeah. they're yeah, supporting a, like a full PhD student or postdoc yeah. but also yeah. there are smaller um, areas like for example working together with a master student and yeah. so one thing yeah. that I see also is yeah, when I talk to practitioners I also try to explain to them that they should yeah, not have um, the wrong expectations about yes. this right so for example yeah. a master student shouldn't be a way just like a cheap or free way to do like a process mining yeah. project for them um, because they have to realize that often the students they they definitely don't have the domain knowledge um, for the processes so they're also new to the topic so they have time but uh, even in the time of the project they can never get into yeah into the depth as much as someone who's working at the company could be so they do need supervision so it does take time yeah. to supervise them properly and, yeah. and work with them yeah. uh, but at the same time it can be a really good way to To collaborate, so I, I was wondering, do you have any any tips for practitioners who are interested in that? What they maybe should think of, or how they find, um, you know, a student who could work with? Yeah, them? so um, as a, so, it's a nice, it's a nice, um, um, what I would say, coincidence that uh, only yesterday I, I, I received an email by a, a former student um, uh, in one of my classes in, in Eindhoven who's now working with a, a company and said, oh, I saw the announcement that you're also participating in this process uh, cafe. By the way, my uh, organization is really looking for a, um, um, a student to um, uh, work on a, on, on a particular problem that we have. Can you take a look at it, whether this is perhaps suitable for a master? Uh, a master project. I think that that is that is a very nice way of doing it. I, um, and I'm, I, I think there are many uh, uh, groups in the Netherlands um, who would be open to uh, work together with organizations to formulate uh, projects for for their students. So I would say, have a look at uh, that. Would be my recommendations for practitioners. Have a look um, at your network, at your contacts, uh, at the different universities that you work with. Um, and I think most researchers will be very open to being contacted uh, about the formulation of, of master projects. I think there are many benefits uh, to this uh, for the students in particular. Uh, for students, it is fantastic to really get involved in, 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 in real projects and to see real, um, uh, real challenges uh, there. For researchers, uh, it is really a, a nice way also to, to test new approaches or to test new ideas in practice. And indeed, for, for especially for organizations who are not so familiar with process mining or don't know how to how to start with it, it could be a, a good way to, to get started. I do must I must emphasize that um, you you should have the right expectations. Students are not uh, cheap consultants who will um, uh, do dirty work or, or, or things that that will uh, that you that you would um, that, that, that are very labor intensive perhaps but have very little intellectual uh, intellectual depth 
um, students have to also develop new things. So um, uh, I would rather see a student, a cooperation fee student as a way to cooperate in, in a particular area and to learn more than to really solve perhaps the most pressing problems that you have within an organization. But with this mindset, I think it's a very nice um, uh, low barrier way of, of uh, working together. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I completely agree. And unfortunately, there's not at least not, not one that I know of any kind yeah. of marketplace or something where, let's say, students looking for a turn internships or projects and companies can find each other. No, not on a national level. But I, for example, if I speak for Utrecht University, we have a sort of a platform, mm -hmm. Conjoin, where we indeed uh, announce new uh, project proposals. And there's a sort of a matching between uh, uh, at least the students and and, and um Uh, supervisors but of course the organizations uh, um, uh, need to either contact students or the or the supervisors to to also express what what they can what they have uh, in terms of projects right yeah. exactly yes this this really is different for each university so it's good yeah. for good that you yeah. have this type of platform because not every university has it even no, even internally good. but yeah. what i also wanted to offer to the yeah to the practitioners watching this uh, here today and who are interested in having some uh, student corporations so we have our academic uh, program where we support um, universities more than 700 universities worldwide are uh, uh, working you know with with prosmine in our in our academic partnership program and so we have contact persons at these universities so if you are interested in uh, finding a student um, that's also something that we can facilitate so for example Hayo is our contact person for Utrecht University so if uh, someone is interested in yeah a master student I would uh, let him know and he can then share this on this platform that he just mentioned and we can do the same thing with other partner universities so if you're interested Don't hesitate and yeah, just let us know about it and we'll we'll see if we, if we can help. Yeah, very nice. Um, so let me just see whether there's more questions um, or com comments uh, in the chat. So for example, uh, Jeroen uh, was saying that he's using process mining to, he wants to use process mining to explain the process and to build a machine learning model to predict special outcomes in the process and what you would advice for that i think uh, actually the example that you gave is, is is one a nice example right where you're looking into yeah. statistics but yeah. do you have any any more tips like um papers in this direction that you should there is a, i i i don't know them by heart but there are already quite some um approaches in our field where this has been tried so we already have a quite of quite some understanding of which techniques uh, work well it also depends on the kind of data that is of course uh, available Uh, so I could give some pointers. I know, for example, uh, Sebastian van Zelst in uh, Aachen uh, has worked on this uh, on this topic. Also, in the recent process mining conference, I've seen some work there. I'm not an expert in this uh, this field, but I know that the combination of machine learning uh, um, and, 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 and process mining to predict uh, process outcomes is a hot topic in in our research field. There's actually Uh, quite some work going on there so uh, perhaps I should I should give you some pointers on us uh, which you can 
make available. We yes, we we can check, but also just in general, I think the um, yeah. also the, I can see the question was asked um, like what the names of the, these two conferences were that we mentioned. So the ah, yes. one of them is the, the it's ICPM, so it stands for International Conference for Process Mining, um, yeah. that has been taking place for two years now, the second time this year, and before um, the other conference we mentioned was the BPM conference, so Business Process Management Conference. So if you're looking at these conferences and the workshops around it then if you're looking at the publications of the past years you will get a that's a good way also to get an overview about what current research is about if you're a researcher who want to dive in and in, into these topics in, in more detail and see what what people are working on i think that's a that's a really good starting point yeah, yeah. so the bpm conference of next year will uh, take place in rome so uh, everybody who knows me uh, also knows that I, I really hope that this conference will go through. Uh, <laughs> Rome is the, my favorite city to visit. So if you Google for uh, BPM 2021 Rome, uh, you will also find that uh, links to that website and to the, uh, the different events which are organized around it. Yes. Okay, great. Well, maybe as a as a last question uh, to you, Hayu, before we we have to go, um, is there? Yeah, can you give us a little bit of a glimpse of the the research that you're working on within your team right now? Is there anything specific that you're specifically yeah. excited about, or can you share something yes. with us? Yes, um, thanks for asking because I'm really excited about um, a field that that we are working on uh, with different people, uh, in particular Inge van der Weert and Iris Berenpoot, who are working in my group. Uh, in Utrecht, and they work on the topic of workaround mining. <laughs> so what that means is to find out mostly through process mining techniques, but also additional techniques like observation of people and interviewing uh, uh, people to find out how people work with, but also around information systems. So our particular focus at the moment is, is healthcare. Uh, so uh, Iris, for example, has looked at and maybe 10 different hospitals and medical institutes, um, uh, how people work with uh, health um, um, uh, electronic health uh, records mm -hmm. and information systems and created a complete taxonomy of what, what may happen, uh, um, uh, what may happen when people are confronted with a rigid IT system and when they have to perform their work. But the, the, the dream of this, this research uh, uh, stream is that you don't have to follow professionals, nurses, doctors, or professionals in other kind of settings all the time by looking what they're doing, but that you can learn from data in the same way as process mining is doing this, that you can learn from data that is left behind by people using all kinds of IT systems, how they work with or work around the system. Um, and... So, for example, this morning I read in the newspaper that a nurse in the Bos, that's the city where I live, is now um, um, uh, has given medication to a patient in a situation where the anesthetist uh, was not available, and even though she's not was not allowed to do this, um, she had to do something with the patient which was there. But the but the, the IT system prevented it from doing it, mm. which she did it anyway. So this is a typical situation that happens in a healthcare uh, setting. Something has to happen, but the system doesn't allow it. Um, and uh, mm. what the, the dream of this, this approach is, is to see what happens and what is different from what the prescribed or, or normative process is, to identify this, and then, and then it becomes interesting, to also take actions. Because you can, you can say, well, 
we can do different things. We can perhaps, perhaps the workaround um, item that we found is an indication that the original system was not properly designed. Then we have to fix the system. But you can also uh, find out uh, that, that the, people, the way people work around the system is actually very undesirable. And then you want to prevent people from doing it. Or uh, you can say, well, sometimes people do things which <laughs> are not exactly as we expected, but, you know, we, we ignore it. But you can take a sort of, you can take a range of actions. So yeah. we see this not only as a negative research line in the sense that we want to prevent people from doing things, but also as a positive thing. As, as soon as we see people work around the system, this is also for often an opportunity to improve things. Um, so, and I think this, this, this whole research line has a lot of potential. And it also shows a sort of a natural progression of how our process mining uh, field evolves. It's not only about analysis, it's also about the follow-up. What are we going to do uh, with these things? And that is it's exactly, I think, what I'm excited about. Uh, it's, it's about combining computer science uh, uh, techniques with organizational measures, organizational improvement, and, and, and probably in, in, in tight combination with each other. So that is... Yeah, everybody who wants to know more uh, more about this, I, I invite them to contact me and I'll get, get you in touch with our main researchers, with Inge and with uh, Iris, um, um, because I think this is a theme which we'll, uh, we will only develop uh, over the next years to come. Very, very interesting. And it's nicely closing, closing, closing the loop, right? Bringing us back yeah. to where we started, the yeah. techniques themselves, the systems, but also the people who work in them and who always will find workarounds if the system doesn't work the way that they need it. Yeah. And yeah, we have to deal with this in a, in a reasonable yeah. way and not by blaming people or yeah, you have yeah. to really take a wide view and look at everything to, to make, yeah, to make yeah. good decisions with this. Nicely put. Oh, very, very nice. Thanks so much, Hayu. Um, very. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It was uh, really nice to talk to you today. So um, very nice to have you as a guest. It was a pleasure. And um, yeah, I think we have given quite some pointers also to people who are maybe some some ideas um, um, that they can think about. And if not, then a glimpse of what's going on in the research side in the post mining area. Um, Yes, we. Uh, if you have any any more questions or comments about uh, today's show, you can also just send us an email. Uh, you can send it to cafe at fluxicon.com. Uh, we will share the recording maybe in a week or so, so you will see it on the blog or on the mailing list. Um, so uh, you can watch it back later if you maybe missed the beginning of it. And um, yes, so thanks again. Hi, I thank all of you uh, who joined here today. Uh, we will be back uh, with another session uh, in January on 19th January where we will talk about um, post mining and customer journeys so until then thanks a lot and have a good holidays and good end of the year Bye.